Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Seth Nicholas Johnson. That's right. Joe is still out on parental leave, but we got we to gotta keep the, the show rolling. And we find ourselves at that time of year when we tend to cover the Ig Nobel Prizes. Uh, so this episode and probably a second episode are going to look at some of the Ig Nobel winners from this year. I mean, we couldn't skip Ig Nobels just because Joe's out on paternity leave. The Ig Nobels are a tradition around here. That's right. Yeah, we've been covering the Ig Nobels for many years. I'm not even sure when we started covering it on the show. We generally don't cover them right away because the awards usually come out during September. Usually it's like late mid to late September or very early October, perhaps uh, for a couple of years. And we're often wrapped up in Halloween stuff by that point. But the Ig Nobels usually make for a fun episode or two in early November for us. In a way, sometimes it's a nice palate cleanser after a bunch of Halloween content. Uh, So, we, yeah, again, we tend to use it later than usual. But uh, the 2022 awards were handed out September 15th, 2022. It's kind of like the World Series versus Halloween. They both usually end up around the same time. (laughs) And at least in my life growing up, it was always kind of a a flip of the coin whether or not the World Series would interfere with the Simpsons annual Treehouse of Horror. It was... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they would air uh, Treehouse of Horror really, really early to get it out of the Mm -hmm. way beforehand. Sometimes, and these were the years I hated the most, they would air Simpsons Treehouse of Horror after Halloween, which just... (laughs) 
flummoxed me. I, I hated those years. Yeah, I mean, I think you've pointed out before, it's also a reason why we can feel feel good about doing Halloween-y things in the weeks following Halloween, because the Simpsons precedent is there. <laughs> yes. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I, this is just real quick. Did you watch this year's, Rob? I, I didn't. I, uh, we, as a family, we re- rewatched the five or so treehouses that we always rewatch. But um, I'm 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 just I don't I know you've given me advice on watching more recent episodes in the past, but I'm just I'm kind of scared. I just I tend to stick to exactly what I know, even though so many of the jokes, well, not all of them, but there are certain jokes that are way outdated or right. haven't stood the test of time, or I just have to explain them to my ten year old. The one this year I have to say was particularly good. I'm recommending it okay. to you and to all the listeners out there. There was a Babadook parody. There was a Westworld parody, and there was a uh, Death Note parody. And the Death Note parody was done exclusively in anime style, and it was mm-hmm. gorgeous. So anyway, huh. anyway, if people like The Simpsons, or even if you don't, I don't care, go watch this year's Treehouse of Horror in the year 2022. It was beautiful. Huh. I'll have to see all the source material for those, though. I still haven't seen The Babadook, but mm-hmm. I saw the episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, that had the same uh, director. Right, uh, right. Anyway, right. sorry, back to the Ig Nobels. Yes, yes. So the Ig Nobels, um, if you're not familiar with these, the Ig Nobels are a series of awards given out once a year by a scientific humor journal called The Annals of Improbable Research, edited for many years now by Mark Abrams. Uh, their stated purpose is to, quote, honor achievements that first make people laugh and then make them think. So, um, and also, uh, without, it probably goes without saying that this is also kind of a parody of the Nobel Prizes. I'm sure that a uh, mistake has been made many times in the past. Yeah. So, uh, occasionally, the papers that get selected are themselves intended to be satirical uh, and, or, or have satirical notes to them at any rate. Uh, an example that comes to mind was a study that discussed whether cats should be considered a solid or a liquid. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, obviously there is a fair amount of, of humor already there. Other times it's a, just a straightforward uh, study that deals with a topic or deal, or there's some detail to the experiment involved that is uh, laughter inducing, or it's just weird or it's other times it's a study that, that does seem to be sort of testing out or exploring something that we just take as a given that just seems completely obvious. And in perhaps it's a little humorous that there's a study about it, even though uh, this is how we sort of scientifically prove out the world around us. And I think we're covering both. I, th- I think we have a wide selection here covering both the surprisingly impractical and the surprisingly practical. Yeah. So in each of these, we're definitely going to talk about why it is funny, but also why it is important, like why it matters. Because, uh, again, like the, the stated purpose, uh, stuff, different studies and papers that make you laugh, but then make you think. So it's not just that they're funny. They also are, are legitimate scientific papers. Now, we're not going to cover all the winners. If you want to see the full list of winners for this year, plus all subsequent years, you can go to the journal's webpage at improbable.com. Either way, you should definitely check out the website. Uh, It's just all on one page, all the winners throughout the years. And it it can be a fun exercise to just uh, search for various keywords on that page and see what has been honored. So, yeah, we're just going to trade back and forth here on some for this episode, and we'll probably come back in the next episode as well. When I initially scanned it, uh, another thing about it is that a lot of times they are very recent studies. Uh, sometimes they're older studies, and sometimes they're, they're studies that are 
that are kind of checking in on a, on a strange topic and maybe giggle-inducing topic that's been around for a little bit. And so I was instantly uh, interested in the biology prize for this year because it does touch on a topic, though not a specific study, that Joe and I have discussed on the show um, at least a couple of times. There are a trio of studies honored here uh, by uh, the authors uh, Garcia Hernandez and Machado. And uh, in particular, uh, there's, uh, there's one just to give you a taste of what we're getting into. This one is from 2021 in the journal Integrative Zoology, Short and Long-Term Effects of an Extreme Case of Autotomy, colon, does tail loss and subsequent constipation decrease the locomotor performance of male and female scorpions? <laughs> so specific. <laughs> yes. So th- this gets into a really weird area that, uh, that again, longtime listeners of the show might remember. Needless to say, the tail of a scorpion is easily one of the most interesting tails you'll find in the animal world. You can go vertebrate or invertebrate. The scorpion is still going to be up there at the top. Because, I mean, just, just the image of it, this, this curled tail just posed and ready to strike out with that stinger. I mean, it's so good it becomes part of our monsters, right? Like, we, we can't help but blow it up. Uh, we can't help but blow up the scorpion as Ray Harryhausen did in Clash of the, the, of, of the Titans. But the, the scorpion's tail, or metasoma, is composed of five segments, as well as the telson. The telson isn't so much a full segment as just sort of the posterior most division of the creature's body. And this contains venom glands, which of course feed the zinc-hardened stinger at the end of the tail. The scorpion will use this tail stinger along with its claws, both offensively and defensively, against its many, many enemies. Uh, because, of course, it's trying to prey on various creatures, but lots of things are trying to uh, prey on it. And it also has to deal with the dangers of posed by other scorpions, even of its own species. But there's an interesting quirk of evolution with the scorpions. Uh, and this is when I first read about this, it was in an Ed Yong paper uh, from 2015 that appeared on the National Geographic website. And in it, Yong points out that the scorpion's anus isn't where you think it might be. So just <laughs> that, that's kind of kind of leading into it. But I don't know. Did did you have Seth? Did you have a um, a, a notion in your head about where you might find a scorpion's anus? I, I would compare it to all other animals that I'm aware of and put it below the tail. That's where I would put it. Right. That that would have been my guess. Mm-hmm. And and even more so after. Uh, discussing this bit about the, the the telson, you know, this idea that it's it's not the tail proper, but it's kind of like as far back uh, on the animals you can get before getting to the tail segments. Mm. I mean, that's already where you're going to have the venom glands. It seems to make sense that you would also have the termination of the gut there, that that's where the anus would be, that's where poop would come out. I still think it's a good guess, but it is absolutely wrong. The anus is on segment five of the tail, meaning that the gut cavity of the scorpion extends through the entire tail and then poops out just short of the stinger itself. That's fascinating. So, so then picture in your mind, if it was typically where you would think it would be on, on any creature, so move its back legs all the way up to the fifth segment you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. of, of the stinger. And that's it would it would be almost like a uh, like a dachshund, like a big long wiener dog body, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that makes sense uh, in its own strange way. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so different from what we tend to expect from animals that have not not even similar morphology because it's not like 
not like a cow is similar to a scorpion in in most major concerns but but you know there's a there's a certain rhythm uh, to the way things are laid out you 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 grow to expect to find uh, the anus in certain positions uh, compared to the tail of a creature especially when it seems so consistent yeah now this is already pretty weird but the kicker to all of this is that there is a rare group of south american scorpions and young points this out that practice uh, autotomy. This is the act by which a creature can shed parts of its body, typically a tail. The most famous example of this are little little lizards like backyard skinks and so forth that I think uh, if, you, if you grew up in a world where lizards were running about, you were familiar with this because occasionally you might catch a lizard and its tail would fall off or you would find that tail. Perhaps you'd find a, a bird or a cat uh, playing with the tail as it still kind of bops around with some last, uh, l- you know, last ounce of energy. And of course, this is generally about enabling a better chance of survival for the creature. And I think there, I remember talking about this in the show in the past, there are a few different ways of looking at this. It's kind of a distracting lure. Uh, if a lizard jettisons a tail and that tail's still moving around, well, that distracts a predator. It also is kind of a bribe, like you're not going to eat me, but here, here's a piece of me, have at it. Uh, I'm delicious, but I'm also running away. So we have this rare group of South American scorpions that can do this. They can shed their tail. But since their anus is on the fifth tail segment, they also lose that as well. Um, and I believe in the case of, of these scorpions, we're talking about the, sh- the, the shed occurring, the, the, uh, that they lose the tail somewhere at the second or third segment, which, which also seems crazy, right? Because it's like, come on, scorpions, if you just, you could have the anus on the tail, but maybe just an earlier segment. Right. And you could still do this without losing your ability to poop. But no, they're, they have the anus on the fifth segment. They're losing their tail at the second or third segment. And so it leaves the scorpion without a tail and without an anus uh, to live out the rest of its life because it does continue to live. And and then I, I believe the, the we're talking something like maybe eight months more of life, but still enough life to where these scorpions are still going to continue uh, hunting for food, feeding, and even successfully breeding. Wow. But yeah, yeah, it's like you're saying, if, if there was like a focus group to redesign the scorpion, we should either move its anus further up uh, on the segments of, of the uh, tail or um, have the portion of the tail that does disconnect begin after the fifth segment yeah but 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 no no it's just just kind of a a sad cronenberg situation yeah so i i don't know what the the uh the creationist take on all this is i actually don't don't care what the creationist (laughs) but it seems like it would it seems like it would pose some some uh some questions yeah yeah so as so, so obviously, what happens when a creature cannot poop, but it's still continuing to live and eat? Well, it begins to swell up. Uh, and there are actually, you can find images, I think Ed Young has some of these in his, his article, where you can see these like white globs through the skin of the scorpion. And this is the scorpion swelling up with its own excrement because it cannot poop. It reminds me of seeing um, perhaps a, a crab getting ready to molt you know, where, mm-hmm. where, where like you can see like its exterior kind of, 
they're they're getting very uncomfortable. In fact, I, I actually just saw some footage last night of a, of a blue crab. Uh, it was given its favorite food, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. eat any, just simply because it didn't have room for its body to expand <laughs> after eating. And so what it would do, I believe it was a piece of mango, that the, the crab would just kind of put it in its mouth to taste it, and then just set mm-hmm. it back down, because it didn't have room <laughs> for the food inside its, its too small body. It had to wait until it molted to be able to finish. Wow. <laughs> So as, as Yang points out in this article, the scorpion is on borrowed time at this point. Its defensive and offensive powers are reduced. Plus, again, steadily swelling up with poop, so much so that the swelling apparently sometimes pops off one of the remaining tail segments or stumps there. Kind of like a vest button bopping, uh, you know, popping off of a stuffed human diner in a cartoon. Oof. So here's this, this steadily swelling scorpion, no tail, no stinger. They have to end up having to prey on smaller prey because they can't handle the bigger stuff without their, their main bioweapon. But they still manage to do it. They still manage to mate and reproduce in their remaining eight months or so on average. So this much was known. These latest studies that are, uh, that are, that are honored by the Ig Nobel Prizes, they look specifically at the scorpion's locomotion post-autotomy. Uh, so how are they moving around? How are they continuing to function and reproduce? after they've lost that tail. Now, why is it funny? I don't well, it's constipated scorpions who threw away their anus. So, I guess it's it's inherently funny on some level or another. And why is it important? Well, it, it is a crucial question about how the creatures survive in the wild after losing their tail. And given that mating still goes on after this point, it's a question with ramifications uh, of evolutionary concern as well, because the, the selection pressures are still applying. It's not one of these situations where you could say, well, they've lost their tail, but it's not like they're reproducing anymore. You know, they're, they're essentially dead at this point. No, they, they still have life to give, and they give it. So, again, a trio of studies that were honored here by Garcia Hernandez and Machado from 2020 and 2021. And I'm just going to single out the key findings here. Um, read a couple of quotes from, uh, from the papers. Uh, first, quote, tail loss has no immediate effect on the locomotor performance of scorpions. The long-term decrease in the locomotor performance of autotomized males may impair mate searching. However, because death by constipation takes several months, males have a long time to find mates and reproduce. Thus, the prolonged period between autotomy and death by constipation is crucial for understanding the evolution of one of the most extreme cases of autotomy in nature. Fair enough. And also, they got to use death by constipation twice uh, there. Um, but then, uh, then it, it gets more interesting as well. Quote, although the male tail is used during courtship and sperm transfer, autotomy has no effect on male mating success. The combined effect of increased mortality and reduced fecundity resulted in um, automatized females producing nearly 35% fewer offspring than intact females. In conclusion, the negative effects of tail autotomy are clearly sex-dependent, probably because the factors that influence reproductive success in males and females are markedly different. So the basic take-home there being that, yeah, it doesn't seem to really have an impact on how males are mating, but it does have an impact on the way the females are. Hmm. And then finally, they point out the stinger loss reduced uh, their ability to subdue both small and large prey, and that tail autotomy is costly because it decreases predation success. It just makes these little scorpions less good at being little scorpions. 
Makes sense. So, you know, these are these are not studies that I guess um, they're not completely groundbreaking or anything. They're not revealing something in the natural world that we didn't completely, you know, there was just a mystery to us. But it does answer more questions about this already weird uh, situation that's occurring with, uh, with a particular variety of scorpion in the wild. And it also just broadens the mind in general. Like, for example, if you would have said to me, you know, I'm going to bet you $50 that you can't show me where a scorpion's anus is, I would have taken that bet before this study. <laughs> I would have said, of course, I know where it is. But but now, now I I just can't take these things for granted. You know, there there's a, yeah. a a broad spectrum of physiology out there. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, 
personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Well, let's move on to our uh, second story here. Uh, this was the Ig Nobel Economics Prize. Mm. This, uh, let's see, our, our authors, our researchers, uh, I believe they're all from Italy, so I apologize for my lack of uh, pronouncing Italian names as, as well as I should. This is by Pluccino, uh, Biondo, and Rapisarda. And this is for explaining mathematically why success more often goes not to the most talented people, but instead to the luckiest. Hmm. So uh, a lot of Western cultures, uh, we can speak for uh, us as uh, two Americans here, but I think a lot of Western cultures are this way, are based in the idea that if you are talented and work hard, you will be successful. That's that's the thing that everyone tells you, whether it be a, a teacher or a parent. Uh, that that's just how it is. Work hard, you know. Be 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 more talented. Be smarter. Study hard. All that stuff. Uh, and if you want to be, really be successful, you need to be more talented than everyone else and work harder than everyone else. If you want to be a uh, oh whoever's the, the the billionaire du jour, just picture them in your mind. Whichever one you, you're thinking of, that one. Now. Um, is this true? <laughs> can we really break this apart? And can we do it with math? I think is the most important thing that uh, these three researchers were trying to figure out. Now, if you if you talk to one of these people, the people who are extremely successful, a, a billionaire, let's say, they will tell you that, you know, it's we worked hard. We, we, we really put our nose to the grindstone, you know, and they'll talk about the, uh, the virtues of the hustle. You know, that's everything. You got to put in all those hours, neglect your personal relationships, et cetera, et cetera. They got where they are because of a meritocracy. Well, our researchers are here to prove that that's just not true using math. So the first claim that the researchers will make is that uh, if, we're, if we're primarily talking about two aspects here, which is talent and success, they're going to need to find a way to uh, apply math to those terms. So talent, they are claiming, has a Gaussian distribution. Now, uh, I'm sure even if those of you out there aren't mathematicians, you you, you know more or less where I'm, I'm coming from, even if you don't know these terms. A Gaussian distribution, aka a normal distribution, is a typical bell curve along the x-axis. I'm sure most of you can picture that in your mind. 
It's low on the left, it's high in the middle, and it's low on the right with a, a cosine curve easing in and out of each point. This is used all over the place to explain all kinds of uh, averages in numbers, but it's extremely common is this typical bell curve, okay? So our researchers are using a Gaussian distribution to uh, equate with uh, talent, which they're equating with intelligence, because intelligence is a very measurable trait. Talent, of course, much more difficult to measure. So, so, so get that in your heads first, everyone. Picture a little chart, and this is for intelligence, and it's a little bell curve. There are people with very, very little intelligence on the left, people with, with extremely high intelligence on the right, and then the average, most of us, right in the middle, and that's where the big, you know, the big body of the bell is in that bell curve. Now, now Rob, first, is this a fair equivalency, do you think? Do, do, do you think equating talent and intelligence, are, is, is that, is that uh, an, an assumption you would be willing to make? Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where the, the alchemy of success and, and even things like talent and intelligence on their own are, are, are far more complicated than something like this is going to really be able to represent. But you got to work with some sort of model. You got to work with some sort of a simplified version of reality in order to apply the mathematics and prove things out. Right. And, and and I do think that there is talent that, of course, it doesn't require, you know, book learning, let's say, and um, perhaps something that uh, you could have a typically low intelligence by uh, by all, all tests that exist in the world, but perhaps are extremely talented in your own ways, which are not measurable. So, so yes, let's just go with this. If we're using a way to measure talent and we're making that equivalency with intelligence – you can measure intelligence. We get a very simple bell curve. So let's let's just go with that. We'll fo- we'll follow their okay. logic on this. So next up, uh, if we've already measured our talent, next we're going to start measuring success. Now, now their way to uh, find a formula for success is they used um, wealth, you know, financial gain, financial wealth as success once again i'll say this is perhaps not something you could really <laughs> you know one to one you know that there's there's personal success there's creative success and financial success is a, certainly a type of success but that's a very specific kind but once again we'll go with it okay so the next assertion for this math formula is that success our other aspect that we're really trying to measure here can be represented with a power law aka the Pareto principle, aka the 80-20 rule. The Pareto principle, named after the economist Vilfredo Pareto, specifies that 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes. Um, So assertions using this principle would be things like 80% of sales come from 20% of the clients, 80% of work done is from you know, 20% of the employees. And in the case of this study, wealth distribution. So the world has a large majority of poor people and a very small number of billionaires. Um, But you can find examples of this 80-20 principle everywhere. It's actually a very fascinating thing to look into. So this study is positing that to a certain degree, wealth equals success. Uh, I think there are all kinds of successes we could have in this world. But again, we need to to hammer this down with one simple principle. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts? Uh, for the purpose of this study, sure, fine. <laughs> Wealth can be success. Um, you know, I think that if you get into a larger discussion, I think it is certainly a very Western uh, uh, idea 
that that wealth is like the main mark of success. I've always liked, or not always, but I've long liked the the Chinese approach where you have the three star gods of Fulu and Shou, and each one represents a different sort of desired state uh, that sometimes I see also kind of translated as luck. Uh, which is interesting getting into all this, but uh, one represents happiness, one represents wealth, and one represents longevity. So wealth is still very much a part of that with one of these uh, uh, three uh, individuals shown, you know, looking very much like a, a, a wealthy business owner. But on his own, you're missing out on on, on happiness and longevity. Like these are two things that are also important. You don't want just one of these three statues in your home or your business. You want all three because you want a balance of these three forces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we're trying to measure this. So wealth is something that can be measured. If you're talking about like artistic success, perhaps having like, you know, your, 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 your mission and your message be conveyed through art and aesthetics, that's harder to measure. So, so yeah. But yeah, I feel like in, in a, to a larger extent, I feel like yes, in the in the West, we have this idea that wealth is equal success, and to a certain extent, we can say that's true. But also, it's a it's a truth that ends up muddying so many things. Like we get into a, into our heads that our hobbies also need to be things that we make money at. Like right. like, like how how can you be uh, into a writing or? painting or, or whatever sculpting whatever your hobby happens to be if it's not producing money like that's that's not really how hobbies have to work like i can i cannot make money at my hobby i can i cannot be perfect at my hobby and it's still fine it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's perfectly acceptable but we can easily sort of fall into that commercial mindset and, and think of it the opposite way and I think that applies to most things. Like, um, for example, uh, physical activity, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I, I, I love running. Uh, I, I can have all these goals in my mind, like, oh, I'm going to go this far today. I'm going to go this far without stopping to walk, et cetera, et cetera. And I can be very successful at that. There's no money involved. <laughs> I yeah. don't get, or I, I'm sure with you, you, you don't get paid to go swimming or to do your yoga. Right. But you can be very successful at those things in our own yeah. ways. So, yeah, not, not to, not to, you know, harsh on people who do find a way to turn a hobby or a passion into a business. But right. uh, I think obviously it is not required. Yes, yes. So, so we, we will just accept these equivalencies and, and, and continue this paper. So uh, let's picture both these things in our mind. Uh, we're picturing the bell curve for intelligence. Okay, so we're all seeing a bell curve in our minds. And now for success, we are picturing this 80-20 distribution. And if you kind of put those over each other, they don't really overlap. So it's like, wait, wait, wait. I thought I thought we lived in a meritocracy. Shouldn't these be one to one? And and that that's not the case. So what what is that mystery ingredient that makes all of this compute? Well, they mentioned it uh, at the very beginning of the thesis. It's luck. So from the paper, I really love this uh, segment here. I'm going to be uh, quoting most of it, but I'm paraphrasing in a couple of places. Quote. There is nowadays an even greater evidence about the fundamental role of chance, luck, or more in general, random factors in determining successes or failures in our personal and professional lives. In particular, it has been shown that scientists have the same chance along their career of publishing their biggest hit. 
you know, as an aside, you, you would assume that you would get smarter and smarter and smarter. So eventually your biggest hit would come at the end of your career. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not the case. Oh, and, and of course, um, in this paper, they've actually uh, uh, cited their sources for each of these claims. These are not just like random claims made by like some podcaster. No, no, no. <laughs> these these are well-researched claims that all go back to to, to sources. So if you look up, the, look up the real paper, they actually have each of these claims cited so look that up if you're if you're curious i recommend it so anyway back to it um it has been shown that scientists have the same chance along their career of publishing their biggest hit that those with earlier surname initials are significantly more likely to receive tenure at top departments that one's position in an alphabetically sorted list may be important in determining access to oversubscribed public services that middle name initials enhance evaluations of intellectual performance, that people with easy-to-pronounce names are judged more positively than those with difficult-to-pronounce names, that individuals with noble-sounding surnames are found to work more often as managers than as employees, that females with masculine monikers are often more successful in legal careers, that roughly half of the variance in incomes across persons worldwide is explained only by their country of residence and by the income distribution within that country. That the probability of becoming a CEO is strongly influenced by your name or by your month of birth. And that even the probability of developing some sort of cancer might be cutting a brilliant career short. It's mainly due to simple bad luck. And um, it, it, was, it was fascinating to go through all these and, and to check all their, their cited sources. But, but the one thing that all these things have in common is that you have no control over any of these things. No, no matter how <laughs> how much you think you have control over any of these, you, you, you really don't. You don't determine your own name for the most part. You, you can't say what month you're born in. I suppose you could lie about some of these things, but, uh, but, but for the most part, you don't have any control what country you're born in, et cetera, et cetera, you know, where, where your name lands in the alphabet. Um, but, but it is an interesting idea to think about like parents choosing their child's name Based on like you know how how will I make sure that my son Aaron A Aronson is is you know <laughs> at the front of every list and has all the advantages I can possibly provide for them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, there's a lot to be said about about naming uh, of children and, and different ideas about naming of children. And yeah, the the, the downstream results of those names. Uh, there have been so many studies uh, about this. In fact, I, I think I. I heard a, an NPR story about a new one uh, just the other day uh, that was quite fascinating. Uh, but again, yeah, you, you generally don't get to choose it yourself. Often mm. you get to tweak it later, or you or you do change it later, but you're at least given that starting name that you have to deal with. Yeah, for most folks, uh, they're, they're unable to change their name until adulthood. So in many ways, the cards have already been dealt. <laughs> You've already lived 18 yeah. years of your life. You, you don't have much control over it, uh, perhaps until you're an adult. Yeah. So uh, because this is a mathematics paper that I'm referring to today, uh, there are a lot of equations, charts, and graphs, uh, specifically 22 pages worth of uh, testing away, uh, in particular, because we have the ability to track uh, success based on their model and a way to track um, uh, talent based on their model, how are we going to determine luck? So they spend 22 pages 
determining that, which which will be very hard for me to express on a podcast. But but hey, they did it. <laughs> so yeah. I recommend you open up this paper and you look at it. You'll see a wide variety of of ways to measure. Um, uh, uh, good luck and bad luck. And um, if, if you'll kind of picture it in your mind, it's a pretty random distribution, honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to equate because it's not a typical uh, uh, line like a like an 80-20 uh, principle or a or, or a Gaussian curve. Like these, this is a brand new <laughs> thing to look at, which is the luck and uh, a lack of luck uh, curve, which is um, kind of randomized. So I recommend you look it up for details. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the result is untalented people who don't work hard are not successful, okay? Also, talented people who work hard are not successful. <laughs> an average person who is averagely talented and works an average amount and is lucky is successful. That's how you are successful in this country, which... Honestly, I I think you could look at this in a couple of different ways. Um, I think ultimately, anyone who is lucky and happened to just be a person in the world living their life, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Not too long ago, we actually had a really interesting uh, uh, episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, it was called uh, Barbara Blatchley on Why We Believe in Luck. And uh, it was really fascinating, in particular because uh, uh, Blatchley, she was she was being interviewed in the episode. Uh, she was pointing out that the biggest part of luck, honestly, there were a few factors, but a big part of it was just just showing up, just being yeah. in the world and existing, so you are open to to lucky things happening to you. That that's a, that's a that's an enormous part of luck is just being a person in the world. So if you're an average person with average intelligence, living an average life where you just do your life day to day, you might get lucky and you might become one of these mythical billionaires. But if you are, I guess, isolating yourself too much, then, then you don't have the chance for, for most kinds of luck. Yeah. You, you, they say you got to be in the right place at the right time, which means you've got to be You've got to go to places. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. Uh, again, uh, if you want to hear more about this, I, I really do recommend Barbara Blatchley on Why We Believe in Luck. Uh, look it up in any of the Stuff to Blow Your Mind feeds. It's it's a fascinating episode. So uh, coming back to why it's funny, um, I, I, I think this confirms what a lot of hardworking people who are not as successful as they want to be want to believe is true, which is that, hey... No matter how hard I work, this country and perhaps this world is not a meritocracy. I cannot mm-hmm. just will myself or work hard enough to become a billionaire. Uh, in fact, in the paper, they go into this where they're like, okay, how many hours of work can I put into this formula to ensure billionaire status? And it's yeah. not humanly possible. It's 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 not it, – you, you can't track that. Uh, same thing with um, oh, all, all of the aspects, really. If you, you can go through with the individual elements and be like, how can I become a billionaire? And you, you can't determine it. The luck has to be there. It, 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 it's the only factor that is truly determining this crazy 20% uh, segment. So uh, you, you can't discredit it. <laughs> it's, it's all you can really do. Yeah. So um, – I guess it's self-fulfilling. It, it makes the rest of us, meaning you know, the majority of us, the 80% who are not as successful as we think we should be, it, it's a confirmation of saying, don't worry, it's not your fault. <laughs> That's why it's funny to me. <laughs> yeah, but the kind of the flip side is that it's also humbling as well because it's like, well, 
you're you're in the place you are as well because of luck. Like you're here and not in some more dire situation, of which there are you know, plenty of uh, of, uh, of examples uh, to look at. Uh, like I'm I'm not there just because of luck as well. I'm mm-hmm. I was in the right right place and right time to be here, uh, even if I'm not up here in this billionaire realm. And that's why I think it's important coming to that last segment here. It's that. Um First of all, it's impressive that they were able to to determine this through math and really kind of cut out some... some possibilities that people who do believe in the hustle <laughs> would mm-hmm. claim. It, it's it's shutting down those arguments. Uh, and it's also a great reminder that the world is sadly not a meritocracy. Luck is a huge factor. Your successes are not entirely your own, and neither are your failures. You know, it's just an important thing to remember. So, huh. <laughs> I, I think it does confirm what we already think, but it's good to know that through math, they were able to determine it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. 
And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's move on to another one of these prizes. Uh, I decided to go with the physics prize here. Uh, This one is a lot of fun. The physics prizes often, uh, like a lot of these studies, revolve around things you might not expect. Um, and this one went to Frank Fish, Ziming Wan, uh, Minglu Chen, Lai Bing Yai, uh, Chunyan Yi, and Atala Incesic for trying to understand how ducklings manage to swim in formation. So the physics of ducklings swimming in formation. <laughs> um, and the, the actual paper that's referenced here, Energy Conservation by Formation Swimming, Metabolic Evidence from Ducklings, by Fish et al., published in uh, the book Mechanics and Physiology of Animal Swimming, 1994. So, uh, yeah, this is ultimately an older work here, but finally getting the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the acclaim that it deserves. So first of all, why is it funny? And I think it's obvious because it concerns ducks, not only ducks, but ducklings. Um, ducks studies are somehow intrinsically humorous, perhaps simply because ducks are intrinsically humorous. If memory serves, a study about duck necrophilia from, I think, 2003, or at least honored in 2003, was also featured in the Ig Nobels. Uh, But various other topics have at least brought up ducks. Furthermore, this study is about ducklings and revolves around a complex attempt to understand something that ducks simply do. Like, I feel like most of us have probably seen a mother duck followed in the water by her ducklings, and we might say something like, oh, isn't that cute? Or, oh, look at those ducklings, isn't that sweet? But we're probably not turning to the person next to us and going, oh, my Lord, how are they doing that? How is that possible? And yet, at the same time, the study's important because, as the study itself states, quote, the study here sheds light on the importance of the fluid mechanics on animals' behavior and potentially evolution. So there's always something, I always find, find it kind of amusing when we have these cases of, of physics, uh, very serious physics being used, uh, being applied to something that is seemingly mundane. 
and thus revealing the hidden complexities of the thing. I often find fluid mechanics of uh, papers uh, very interesting for this reason. In some cases, they may tackle something seemingly mundane, like it might be the way coffee sloshes around in a mug or something like that. But it reveals this strange world of visible and invisible fluids that we live in. Not only like liquids that we're interacting in, but also gases that we live in and and essentially are swimming through uh, throughout our daily life that we're born into and that we die in. But again, this this study is funny, too, just because it's ducks. I mean, think (laughs) of how many cartoon ducks that we have. It's quite a few, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, picture their funny walk. I'm sure that's that's a big part of it. And uh, Mm -hmm. and their funny little noises they make. Yeah, Yeah. I I think they make funny noises and they walk funny. And that's that's amusing to us. (laughs) Yeah. So it's why we have Donald Duck. We have Daffy Duck. We have Mm -hmm. Duckula. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. Darkwing Duck. The rest. I mean, the entire uh, 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 town of Duckburg, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 Scrooge McDuck and so forth. And I imagine there are a number of uh, of, of less-known duck cartoons. Well, and think about it this way, too. Uh, Marvel Comics, you know, they have many oh. serious superheroes running around mm-hmm. doing their thing. When they want a comedic hero, Howard the Duck. <laughs> That's what you yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, if you haven't seen this before, obviously, when we're talking about ducks and ducklings in the wild, yeah, it's just a mother duck in the water followed by her ducklings in a straight line. And the obvious question then, if you want to dive deeper, is why are they doing this formation? Is this the best formation from an energy perspective? Because that's often a way of understanding why animals do the things they do, why animal bodies are the way they are, why animal systems are the way they are. I mean, there are some complexities that arise and some sort of dead ends that can occur via evolution. But for the most part, like energy is a great place to look because evolution is is essentially kind of lazy. Uh, And energy conservation is extremely important for any organism. Like, what is the the most efficient way to achieve some end? So, in this case, the researchers created a simplified mathematical and numerical model and calculated the wave drag on a group of waterfowl in a swimming formation. And they highlighted uh, two interesting findings, two important factors in all this, wave riding and wave passing. Quote, By riding the waves generated by a mother duck, a trailing duckling can obtain a significant wave drag reduction. When a duckling swims at the, quote, sweet point behind its mother, a destructive wave interference phenomenon occurs and the wave drag of the duckling turns positive, pushing the duckling forward. More interestingly, this wave riding benefit could be sustained by the rest of the ducklings in a single file line formation. So the, the, the answer then is that like this, this is the most energy efficient way to do it. And the ducklings by riding in, in, in this formation behind the mother are able to essentially be propelled along to a certain degree. Like they're, 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 they're basically, they're, they're literally riding in her wake. Uh, but the, the way the, the wave function here works, uh, they're kind of getting a little boost. You know, I, I play a lot of Mario Kart, and I would have thought <laughs> that that would have informed me that this this is how it goes. But no, no, I, I mean, I I didn't consider drag and all that at all. Like like, if if I was thinking to myself, how do they follow in a line? I'd go, oh, they use their eyes. They, they look at the yeah. duck in front of them, and they just follow that one. You know, but but this makes so much more sense. Well, yeah, because you, I mean, on one level, yes, it's the, like this is the mother. It pays to keep 
your eyes on the mother, you're learning from the mother, and you need to go where she goes because she's also your protector, she's your source of, of nourishment, and, and so forth. Um, but there does seem to be this added, this added level to it, this energy efficiency to it. Uh, it also gets interesting because the researchers here hypothesize that the energy efficiency of this formation might be the driving force behind, of course, its use in duck evolution, the reason that ducks continue and have continued to use this formation. But they also ponder its connection to imprinting. Mm. So they charge that the importance of this practice may influence the duck's primal instinct to follow any moving objects they see during this crucial period. So imprinting occurs usually during the first day after a hatchling emerges, and young ducklings usually, of course, are imprinting on the mother duck, but they can famously imprint on humans as well. There have been some very uh, important studies in which uh, ducklings have imprinted upon a human being. Now, don't do this. Do not attempt to go anywhere and have ducklings imprint upon you. Leave that to the scientists. But it's interesting to think about, about this in, in its connection to the swimming efficiency, this idea of, of following, what it means to follow the mother around. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's beyond just learning what she's doing. It's also, uh, benefiting, uh, from, uh, uh, from the energy efficiency of following her in the water. It makes sense. It makes sense. It's, it's, it's wonderful with science. Like, 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 like we were saying earlier, this is the kind of study that I never would have considered. I never would have considered the fact that like, oh, these ducks do this more or less automatically through instinct. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, and it's it's just, and then you you factor things in like, oh no, this is a this is an evolutionary trait that can be you know <laughs> that lead to, to to their existence here in today's world. You know, by 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 following this, it's like, oh yeah, science. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, a plus b equals c. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> and it it drives home why biomimetic solutions are 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 often so effective. Because anything you see animals doing like this in the wild, it's not just the way they happen to do it. Right. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's easy to compare it to, to things like human traditions where it's like, well, why do they wear those funny hats? Well, we just wear these funny hats. This is the tradition. It's important to us. But in the, the animal world, you know, especially, uh, these, are, these are things that have been selected for. These are things that have undergone like rigorous um, uh, um, evolutionary forces over time. And so, inevitably, like the, the, the way that the, the duck and the ducklings are behaving, like, this is the most efficient way to do the thing. And I'm not sure off the top of, top of my head like, where you might be able to apply this particular scenario to engineering. Maybe there's some sort of like dinghy-based um, uh, application here. But, but it's the very reason that in many cases we can say, well, well, we have this engineering problem to solve. How can we best do it? Well, we could crunch out some numbers. We could uh, we could bust out some uh, some some tests and some models, or we could look and see what's a similar problem that has been faced in evolution, that's been faced in nature, uh, and what lessons seem to have been developed there. What seems to be the evolved solution, and can we just copy their work instead of doing it all from scratch here? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like, let's say you know you you are a robotics company who are building uh, robotic uh, freighters to send mm-hmm. freight across the ocean, for example. If you want to spend, you know, less on 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 fuel, uh, however that may may factor into your equation, perhaps you should follow a duckling following its mother 
formula you know perhaps you mm-hmm. using that drag keeping that in mind like one big freighter in the front and a few baby freighters behind it <laughs> maybe that's the best solution who knows who knows all right we're looking at the clock here and it looks like uh, we've about reached the time limit here for this episode but don't worry we're going to come back in the next core episode of stuff to blow your mind and we're going to continue looking at some but not all of the 2022 Ig Nobel Prize winners. Yeah, we've got plenty more uh, for you. We're, we're looking at a big old list here. Some we've already researched, some we still have to research. But uh, yeah, we got a lot more fun on the way. That's right. So uh, yeah, check back in with us on Thursday. Just a reminder that, yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays are the core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. On Mondays, we do Listener Mail. On Wednesdays, a short-form artifact or monster effect. And on Fridays, uh, that's when we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. Uh, let's see. If you want to interact with other listeners, other followers of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, uh, there are at least a couple of places you can go. There is still a Facebook group called Stuff to Blow Your Mind Discussion Module. You can seek that out there and uh, uh, ask to join. I think you have to answer a very simple quiz uh, to gain access. If you would like to join us on Discord, well, email us, and I'll shoot that link out to you. And, oh, if you use Letterboxd, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com, well, uh, Weird House Cinema has an account on there. It's just uh, username Weird House. You can follow us there, and that's where we keep track of all the movies we've covered on the show. As always, thanks to Seth Nicholas Johnson for producing the show and uh, stitching it all together for us, and in this case, also co-hosting. And if you would like to get in touch with us via email, well, send us a message at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. 
But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.